and welcome to this Endo Life, episode 132. I'm Jessica Duffin, I'm an endo warrior, an endo health coach, and this podcast is all about living and thriving with endometriosis. As always, this podcast is here for educational purposes only. Before we dive into today's episode, I want to give a shout out to my lovely sponsors at BU. And I wanted to tell you about their new bath bombs, which are naturally made and contain beautiful essential oils and their peppermint and eucalyptus essential oils um, bath bomb is doing so well right now with endometriosis community they're getting loads of feedback about it and you know if you love the patches themselves you're going to love the bath bombs because essentially it's the patch in a bath bomb. Um, so, you know, if you're on your period or if you're in pain, you could have a bath with some of the bath bombs or one of them. I don't know, you could have multiple if you want. Um, and then, yeah, get out the bath, maybe rub in some CBD balm and put your patch on top, which is um, what a lot of people are feeding back that they're doing. So um, I would love to do that, but... Um, I don't have a bath, so I can't. But if you have a bath, um, then, you know, I think these new bath bombs could be a lovely way to help alleviate some of your pain. So if you'd like to check them out, you can go to BU, which is buonline.co.uk. And you can also order them from anywhere in the world on cultbeauty.co.uk and they deliver worldwide. So... This week, I caught up with the wonderful Jessica Manan. She's been on the podcast multiple times before. She is an endo warrior, of course, and she's also the host of One Part Podcast, the podcast. She's the author of the cookbook, One Part Plant. She is the founder of Know Your Endo, a course for creating your own endo toolkit and she is now the author of the book, Know Your Endo, which is out now. And I had her on um, IG Live to have a conversation and to celebrate her new book. And so in this episode, we're talking about how she found writing a book about endo and also in the middle of COVID, how to prioritize your health with endo without feeling guilty or overwhelmed, defining what your best is with endo and how to walk the line between accepting that some symptoms may not fully resolve but can be definitely reduced, whilst also recognising when there is a deeper root cause that needs to be investigated rather than just, you know, accepting it and thinking that's how we should live. We also talk about how she celebrates her progress with endo and how she practices self-compassion and her tools for managing endo, including understanding your specific endometriosis and how it manifests for you, stress management, good food, movement, and changing our body and home products for more endo-friendly versions. And we also talk about navigating relationships, having friends with endo, and looking after yourself in community spaces. And finally, we talk about how to be an ad advocate for endo without the burnout. So if you're not on Instagram, or you didn't get a chance to watch the live and you don't really have the time to sit down and watch the interview of us talking, which is on my IGTV, here is the audio version so you can listen to it on the go. Jessica's new book, Know Your Endo, is out now in the UK, US, Canada and Australia and I've put the show notes to her website so you can find out where you can buy it. 
I hope you enjoy this interview. Hello. So excited. Oh my God, it's so nice to see you. You too. How are you? Good. I'm in a I'm in a hotel, so if it looks like a very chic background, that's why. <laughs> are you doing like a tour thing? Um, it's called I have like a six year old at home and a husband that works from home. And so um it's not a it's a tour inside of a hotel room inside my city. Okay, fair enough. <laughs> Good plan. Good idea. It's the the most traveling I feel comfortable doing right now. Yeah, yeah, of course. So oh my god, I'm so excited to have you here. And I just wanna celebrate and say congratulations for your new book, Know Your Endo. Oh, so you. it's out tomorrow. Am I right in saying oh, that? Oh okay. yeah. Amazing. So everyone who's watching, we're celebrating this release today and there's a couple of like questions that me and Jess are going to talk about and we're just going to have a chat so um I would love to know we didn't discuss this on email but I'd love to know how did you find the process of, of writing this book <sighs> loaded question <laughs> well gosh it's so hard to not put it back on you because I'm used to doing the uh, interviewing but I think as you know I think talking about your own chronic condition so much and doing the research and doing the study, yeah. it definitely can kind of bring stuff up that maybe yes. you thought <laughs> you were a little bit at peace with. So it's, it's been interesting. I think it's sort of, you know, I remember writing it and asking my husband, was I angry before? Because, you know, so much of what I was finding is just, it was making me so angry at, yeah. at the system and everything. And so he was telling me, he's like, yeah, you used to be really angry. So it was interesting because I, I think I was a little bit more at peace with my endo and then just researching and finding all these studies, I got really mad again. <laughs> so it's, it's been quite a process. Yeah, of course. I can imagine. How long did it take you to write? Well, it was supposed to take nine months and then I got a few extensions because of COVID. Yeah. So, um, you know, right about a couple months before I was supposed to turn it in, I started homeschooling. So I mm. asked for a couple extensions. So it, it ended up taking about a year. Oh my gosh. Uh, yeah. I mean, writing a book in the middle of COVID is <laughs> so, I, it just must be so intense. I can't even imagine it. So yeah, well done for doing that. I think it would have just like broken me. I don't think I could have hacked that at all. <laughs> yeah, it was, um, but, but yeah, it was, and, and I think I wonder too, if the book would have been different if I wrote it at a different time. That's so interesting. Yeah. But I also think what's, cool about it is it really confirmed really a lot of what I wanted in the book was to be able to practice these things at home because yeah. so much I think of endo and I, I don't think it's bad but it's a lot of like see a pelvic floor therapist go do mm -hmm. Chinese medicine do all these things it's like well we didn't have access a lot of us couldn't do that that's true then and a lot of us can't do that now so it was it was almost a little bit confirming too that yeah writing about practices that we can do at home yeah yeah that's so interesting I didn't think about that um, yeah I I just got to see I've not done anything in the past like 12 months 13 months and I saw a visceral manipulation therapist for the first time last week and I was just like 
should I do this? Like, they can do it now. But I, I was still freaking out, even though it's important for me to do. But, yeah. you know, I've been using things at home, strategies at home to help me manage in the meantime. I mean, and I think that almost has to, I mean, it doesn't have to be, but I think it it's so helpful if that's your foundation. Yes. And then yes. kind of shoot off from there because, you know, we don't, whether it's, the location or budget or whatever. I mean, if you live in LA or London, I'm sure you could walk out your door and find an acupuncturist. But if you live yeah. in a smaller city, I mean, you don't always have access to these things. Yeah, yeah, that's so true. So as we're kind of talking about like management tools, let's jump in with my first question, which I, I think is so important that you bring up quite early on in the book is about changing your mindset and how do we prioritize our health without feeling guilty or overwhelmed by it? Because I think that, um, I mean, I even do it. Like I, you know, like I've just finished my course and I, I put my health on the back burner and it's, I don't think it's necessarily something we're going to get perfect forever. It's almost something we have to keep reminding ourselves of. And so why, you know, how do we challenge that mindset of like putting ourselves on the back burner and putting self-care on the back burner? It's such a good question. I mean, I, I think the thing that I always just tap into is that I know that I'm going to be nicer. Mm. <laughs> I know that I'm going to be a better friend, a better parent, a better wife. I think I'm going to be a better everything if I'm taking care of myself. And so I think if we have a hard time putting ourselves first, we can kind of think like, how can I be better to help support other people in my life? Which I don't always think that we should do because I do think we should be putting ourselves first. But if you have a hard time doing that, sometimes it's good to kind of think about the other people in our lives and and yes. how we're taking care of ourselves. Like, how can we be better for them? Because I think, you know, I just shared yesterday how much Indo can can take from our productivity and time with our family and friends. And if we're not caring for ourselves, we're not going to be that much fun to be around anyway. Mm -hmm. So yeah. I, I kind of do that. And then also, I just have gotten to a point where I'm like, I'm managing a chronic illness. And if that is is hard for someone else to understand, like maybe that shouldn't be in my life. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, no, I completely agree. I had um, a question in my course a while ago about um, a girl was saying that, I can't quite remember how it's phrased, but someone in their life was like not really on board with the diet changes that she had made, that they were helping her. Yeah. And, um, and yeah, I, you know, they were saying like, oh, I miss hanging, I miss doing this with you. Like we can never get takeaway anymore and blah, blah, blah. And kind of, they're, the whole point why we're doing this is so we can be more present in our lives and for the other people. And so if that person can't be on board with us trying to be like a fuller version of ourselves, happier, healthier, and, you know, arguably a better friend, then, you know, they should want what's best for us. So as long as we're not harming them. Then... I mean, I see that so much that people, and, you know, and I think we can kind of, look into that is it a jealousy thing that we're feeling better yeah. is it something where they feel like we're changing without them like I think there's mm -hmm. sometimes things that are a lot deeper than it's not just the takeout right I mean it's something yeah. that sometimes is deeper and I think 
you know, I like to have compassion for that. Some, I mean, it's very easy to say, like, get that person out of your life. But I think if we can at least attempt to include them and see, you know, maybe that takeout now is, you know, a version that makes them feel good and their their friends still yeah. like too. Like, I think that there's ways that we can have compassion and be inclusive, but it gets to a point where if they're not supportive at all, I mean, how are you supposed to have a friendship like that? Yeah, yeah. And there are things that we maybe, I mean, maybe people are going to think about this now. We're like sort of not post COVID, but hopefully coming out the other side of like things that people can do at home or near to home if someone can't like go too far because of their health or, you know, just like, ideas of like slumber parties and things like that obviously we can't do that right now but you know just alternatives that don't involve like just going out to the pub which is obviously like the standard thing in the UK (laughs) to to do socially um so yeah I just think it's such an important an important issue because we all get busy and it's so easy for us to forget to put our health you know as a priority but I think when you're living with any chronic condition it's it's really the key way for us to live well with endo or whatever it is that we have yeah I mean and that in the book I mean that is a whole chat it's a whole section of the chapter is relationships and mm. you know it's communicating with the people that care for us and you know on the flip side of people not understanding I think a lot of us with endo don't want to accept help either because we see ourselves as weak or we see it. And so I think sometimes we have to accept help as well and ask for help and say, actually, could you bring me dinner? (laughs) You know what I mean? Or like, and, and I think it's, it's sometimes hard to ask for help because I think with endo, we're so good at pushing through Mm -hmm. and proving ourselves month after month that sometimes we forget to, that we're allowed to ask for help too. Yeah, absolutely. Do you, has that changed for you over the years? Are you more able to ask your family members, like your your husband for help? Absolutely. Yeah, definitely. And I think that I'm much more open to with saying that I can't come to something or, yeah. you know, asking my husband, we alternate who picks up my son at school, but sometimes I'm like this week, can you do it all? So I think it's, um, you know, and that's something else again in the book, like I share different stories and different scenarios with supportive partners, unsupportive partners, people that have unsupportive family members that were able to sort of connect in a new way. So yeah, I think we're all in such different places with our, our illness that it's, um, it's not one size fits all. No, absolutely. And I think our stories change as time goes on as well. You know, like my fam, my first laparoscopy, I didn't tell, I was living with my mum and I didn't tell her that I was going for an operation. <laughs> and my boyfriend picked me up and my mum asked where I was going and he told her. And why yeah. did you want to tell her? Were you afraid that she would worry or that, what, why? We were fire. And I just wanted to keep it private at the time. I mean, you know my history with like an eating disorder. I just a very, um, I didn't like my body. And so as far as I was concerned, 
I was going to get it removed and that was it. Like no one had really explained anything to me about it and how it worked. And even after the operation, my first one, I, that was it. I thought it was over. You know, I thought that was, I wouldn't have to deal with it again. Um, but now what's so interesting is like my family will text me when there's something to do with endo on the radio or on the TV. Mm -hmm. And like my granddad, cause my nan had endo and she had um, hysterectomy and my granddad will just talk to me like, you know, like in ways that I would never have imagined. Like he said, like my nan's bleeding was so bad. It was like a scene from the Godfather. I've not seen it. Like <laughs> a horse waking up, like a horse head in the bed sheets or something. I was just like, I have no idea what you're talking about, but I get the point. So <laughs> it's interesting how people can change with you as your journey develops yeah. um and how our experience changes as as time goes on as well so yeah, and sure. in terms of that like you, you talk about this and we talk, we've talked about it as well this idea of like what's your best self with mm -hmm. endo and it's something that I talk about a lot in my work because obviously I don't know what you would call it I guess my strap line is like living and thriving with endo but thriving is determined by what you know what thriving is for you so you talk about like how you were kind of like endlessly like pursuing best health like this kind of wellness picture perfect vision of your health and so you've now kind of come to a place where you found like an idea of what your best is can you talk a bit more about that and and also how do we toe the line between understanding that we have a chronic condition, so perhaps not all of our symptoms are gonna to totally alleviate. Some people they do, right? But for some people they won't. Um, and accepting that, whilst also being aware of something that like is continuing and actually there's a deeper root cause that needs to be addressed. Like for example, my bloating turned out to be SIBO. I could have just ignored that all of my life and just, thought that it was endo so it's a tricky i find it it's a fine line to walk do you think oh my gosh i think you know i definitely write about in the book where i was on this pursuit to get rid of all of my inflammation it's mm. not actually possible like endo or not we're always going to have like some type of inflammation and yeah. that i could do that with endo that's not actually possible but I can get to the point where my inflammation doesn't disrupt my entire life. Like that to me is the win or like yeah. painful cramps. My mission was to rid them forever. I don't know that that's completely possible, but I'm at a, at a place now where my cramps, like I could still get out of bed. Like mm -hmm. that is the win. I think what's difficult sometimes is that with endo, it's coming to terms that your best might still be someone's worst <laughs> and that, yeah. you know, for you, your best is being able to get out of bed. It's being able to pick your kid up at school. Whereas for someone else, it's like, how could you like, of course you're going to be able to do that. So I think it's really getting to a point where you're celebrating or you're acknowledging like, wow, I have come a long way, yeah. but I still might not be able to run a marathon. Like, and, and I think that's hard because I think so many people with endo, I think there's a lot of this type A'ers out there because we're yeah. so good at like pushing through and doing everything that why couldn't we put our mind to it and 
you know, flip a tire and climb a rope. Like I joined CrossFit for a minute because I, in my mind, I could accomplish it. And very quickly I learned that that was not right for my body. Yes. So what could I be really good at? And mm-hmm. I'm getting really good at Pilates now. I'm really good at rebounding. And it, it's making that shift in, in sort of learning what we are good at and celebrating those things versus beating ourselves up about not being able to do anything at all. Yeah. And I think recognizing, like it, you talk about this, recognizing when something has changed because I cannot tell you, like it's, it really surprises me. I have clients come to me and one of their goals is like, they want to reduce pain on their period. And then not all of them, but some of them will come to me and then say, like, you know, a couple of weeks in and they said, oh, you know, my period pain went from a 10 to a two, or I had no period pain, or I didn't need to take any painkillers. And then they'll, and then they just kind of skip past it. That's and I'm like, huge. I'm like, boy, <laughs> let's just like realize how big that is. Because in our mind that there's always something more to do, you know, yeah. it's like, okay, well, I got, I got on top of my period pain, but like, my IBS issues are still really bad or my fatigue is really bad. So we kind of just focus on the thing that's still there rather than celebrating what's changed. And to me, like that's jaw dropping, even though I've seen it time and time again, it's still amazing to hear a client say that. Like I still like, I'm so, so thrilled when someone says that. Um, And so how i mean do you have strategies do you have like a way that you celebrate your wins or that you look at your progress yeah i mean i I just told someone this today that i mean it's 10 years in using these types of tools and i'm telling you every single period i'm like whoa like (laughs) i feel like 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 it i i still i mean and Maybe it's because it was so bad before, but like yeah. I can go back to that dark time and, and remember just how dark it was. And I didn't want to be alive. And so the fact that on my period now that I can still live and want to be alive, like I feel grateful for that every single time. And, but it does take work, like you said, to sort of like rewind and say, yo, you could not do this 10 years yes. ago. You, were, you wouldn't even be able to be sitting upright 10 years ago. So I definitely all the time celebrate that. Like even wearing period underwear, I celebrate that. Like that yeah. was around 10 years ago. And now I get to wear period underwear. <laughs> like, yeah. It's amazing. So I, I guess my strategy is just sort of almost every single period just kind of reflecting back to the way it used to be. And I don't think that's living in the past. I think it's just reminding me of how far I've come. Yeah. Do you do any like celebrations or anything? It's kind of something that I use with my clients, like go and celebrate, like treat yourself. It doesn't necessarily mean going and buying like, I don't know, a pair of shoes, but it could just be like a massage or like, you know, calling a friend you haven't spoken to, like a way to market. It was something that I was taught in my training by Dr. Jessica Drummond and it was really helpful for me. Like I still, I'm not always great at it, but I do try to celebrate my wins. Yeah, I mean, Um, in the book, I mean, I opened the whole book with, I had a celebrate your wins party at my house, which 
was going to be like a yearly thing and still COVID and we're going to do it again. But it wasn't endo focused, but I had every single person that walked through my door, take a post-it note, write down a win that they feel like they had accomplished and put it up on the wall. And I mean, there were everything from, you know, I was there for my dad who was dying to I've lost my teeth every day for three months. I mean, it was a huge range of wins. And I mean, it's something that I'm constantly trying to do because I think with endo, we focus so much on what we can't do that we have to be able to focus on things we can do. Yeah. Imperative to our mental health and just managing a chronic illness in general. Yeah, absolutely. Because we're not machines. Like the work that we're doing is admittedly like hard work. It can feel pleasurable, but like, you know, and hopefully we've, you know we've chosen tools that we enjoy doing but also we're living with a chronic disease and so some parts of that are hard and to sell it like by celebrating we're giving ourselves a bit more motivation and incentive to keep going rather than just like continuing without any recognition or anyone would kind of buckle under that kind of pressure like you know a hard boss pushing us without any any reward or incentive yes yeah and I mean It's like, to me, even just, you know, I'm obsessed with foam rolling and it's just, I mean, even being able to just roll out on the first day of my period, I mean, that feels like a huge deal that A, I even have a foam roller, B, that I'm able to like do it, you know, it's finding little things. Yeah. I love that party idea. I want to try that. I'm not, I'm not very good at hosting. It turns me into some like crazy control freak, but um, (laughs) but it sounds amazing. I will tell you that this pot, this, this party was also a potluck. Everyone had to bring a plant-based dish so I could eat it. (laughs) But it was like potluck celebrating each other so it made it way less stress i just had to provide the drinks and the post-it notes and the sharpies that's <laughs> such a good idea i absolutely love it just a reminder that this episode is sponsored by bu these natural patches last for 12 hours so they bring you prolonged relief and can begin working on relaxing your muscles before the pain kicks in so you're prepared even if your period comes during the middle of the day. Some people even find that wearing them a night before their period can really help soothe the inflammation in the area. To shop, just head to link in my show notes. This episode is sponsored by my new free download Natural Pain Relief Toolkit for Endometriosis. This four-page guide includes herbal remedies and teas that are in your cupboards already, safe pain relieving supplements, essential oils for self-massage, and much more. There's a method for everyone, whatever your taste and your budget. Some of the options literally range from 40p to £10, so there is a range of things to support you. And the chances are that you're going to have some of these in your house already, so I'm hoping that this is a really accessible toolkit for you to get started. You know how I work. I like to make changes from our foundations of health, you know, nutrition, lifestyle. It's not about slapping on a load of like pain relief and supplements um, and kind of masking the symptoms. But sometimes we need a bit of help to get out the pain so we can actually begin to make some changes and feel better. And these are the strategies that I use with my clients when they're stuck in in a rut 
they don't have the energy um, and they're having too much pain to actually be able to take the first step forward. So we just want to ease those symptoms, get them out of pain so we can begin this coaching journey together. So I'm hoping that if you're at this moment struggling to see the woods for the trees and get through some of your current pain, that these methods are going to help you. To get your copy, go to the link in my show notes or just go directly to my website and the link is on the homepage. I just, this isn't something you talked about on email, but I'm, I'm just curious to hear what you say because I don't know about you, but before I kind of trained in health coaching and endo, I had this vision in my head that you, to be like on track with your health, like you had to kind of hit like this level where you were doing your like, I don't know, meditation and yoga and, and running every day. And that was always like, it was always, always consistent. And then if I fell off the wagon, then that was kind of like, I was having to start all over again. And I hadn't yet hit like, I hadn't got there yet, right? With my health, like, oh, I was still falling off the wagon. And um, I think maybe I brought that perspective into my endo management in the very, very beginning, like seven years ago, or however long it was, 10 years ago, I guess, um, of like wanting a consistent streak of like, perfect periods mm -hmm. but this past year with my SIBO diagnosis like histamine intolerance going crazy um interstitial cystitis like it's not endo but they're all conditions associated with endo and some of the treatment has um brought my pain up on my periods a little bit occasionally not nothing like it used to be but more than I'm used to so I was just wondering have you had that have you had like up and downs in your journey since like your kind of breakthrough kind of moment and how do you think about those like how do you deal with that rather than like seeing yourself as like being disappointed in yourself or thinking that you failed like how do you process that yeah I mean I think it goes back again to remembering how far that I've come and yeah. and that it's a temporary I mean I write about in the book that, you know, the last five years, I mean, this is pre-COVID, but the last five years were very traumatic. A lot of things happened with my family. A lot of things happened in my life. And I had some really bad periods during that time, because as you know, I mean, a lot of stress can increase your pain. It can completely yeah. destroy your cycle. Like, so but knowing that, right, like knowing, okay, this stress is maybe causing this increased pain, or maybe because I'm off track. But like, the cool thing about having a foundation is that you can get right back into it when yeah. you're ready again. And knowing that I have these tools makes me remember, oh, this is like a blip, like this isn't forever. And like, I always try to remind people when they get weird about food, like, oh my gosh, I ate that. It's like, you have thousands of meals ahead of you. Like that's <laughs> one, one meal. Like that's okay. Like, yeah. and I, you know, especially with the food stuff, like I, you, I know you agree with this. Like there isn't one endo diet for everyone. And, and with that, 
I mean, just because you eat something that makes you feel bad doesn't mean you're bad. It doesn't mean the food's mm -hmm. bad. It could have not even been the food, depending on where your lesions are, if you have a cyst or something, it could have nothing to do with food. That's right. So it's like, we can't always blame everything on ourselves for the way that we feel. I mean, we have a chronic condition. Like sometimes we have to remind ourselves, like you are doing an awesome job to manage this and that there still might be some rough days and then you can jump right back in. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I think, yeah, self-compassion is absolute key here really, isn't it? Yeah, it is. I mean, and I, you know, I write a lot about the whole section about self-compassion in the book and it wasn't something Ivan was that familiar with. And I thought self-compassion was like standing in front of the mirror and saying that you were pretty. Like I didn't understand the, the work of Kristen Neff and I'm sure you're familiar with her, but like she has studied self-compassion and what happens to our brains when we give care to ourselves, when we say, mm. oh man, this kind of sucks. What can I do for you right now? Like we're telling our brains that we care about our bodies, which then can help us. Yeah. And yeah, I mean, lower the pain signals, tell our body that we're safe, like calms the brain yep. down. So, so powerful. And that, but the thing is, is that that stuff sounds ridiculous, right? Like it doesn't, it's like, because I think there's so much toxic positivity and there's people yeah. that can say that like, you know, negativity can cause disease. It's like, well, that kind of puts the blame back on ourselves, right? But like yeah. this, the work of self-compassion, like you can actually look at the science of how it affects our brain. And that's the kind of stuff I get excited about, right? Is like how we can see the science and research behind it. Yeah, absolutely. So you've mentioned um, foundational tools mm -hmm. uh, quite a few times. So I'd love to kind of do, like if you're happy to share an overview of the key tools that you use in the book, which are the kind of same tools from your course, your original course. Yeah. Um, so I'd love to know what they are and also why you chose these ones in particular, because we all know there's so much on the internet about tools for endo. Right. Well, again, like I really wanted to choose tools that people, I say in the book that they need two things, them and an open mind, yeah. <laughs> Like you don't need to go to someone to see someone these are things that you can do on your own in your home and so the first and the the tools are broken up you want to do them week by week and i mean mm -hmm. you can obviously do them as you know quickly as you want to but i think that taking them one at a time and making it progressive can be so helpful so the first tool is knowing your endo mm -hmm. and that means really connecting your symptoms to your endo and not connecting them to your self-worth, not connecting to them as who you are. I mean, for instance, you know, I share in the book that I used to pee my pants a lot and I thought that was made me a really gross person. I didn't know that was a symptom of part of my endo, that urgency to go to the bathroom. Yeah. Um, fatigue is another one. So many people with endo have severe fatigue. They think that they're unmotivated or lazy or antisocial. And it's like, no, that is a symptom of your endo. And I think we connect so many of these symptoms to who our personalities are and our self-worth. And like, we have to separate those. Mm -hmm. But you are not your endo. That is something that is happening inside of you. And so really getting to understand those symptom stories and understanding those symptoms too, because so many people don't even know that fatigue is a symptom. 
and they're yes. going their whole, whole lives just thinking of themselves a certain way. So that's week one. Week two is stress management. It was uh, difficult to think about what that first one should be, but I think if we're not able to start to tap in and manage our stress, like how are we going to start to do the other tools? So stress management is huge. And I'm not telling you that you have to meditate if that's not your thing. I mean, it's other stress management tools, like doing puzzles, going for a walk without a podcast, which sounds crazy, but you can do it. <laughs> um, and, and so I explore 10 different ones that aren't meditating because we can't all meditate. That's not, right for everyone. Week three is exploring good food. And I call it good food, which means food that doesn't make you feel bad. Mm -hmm. It's as simple as that, because there is not one endo diet for everyone. So you might be able to eat eggs and drink coffee just fine. Those two things make me feel horrible. So it's yeah. really beginning to find your foundation because there is so much online about the right endo diet for everyone. And some people can eat gluten without a problem. Like mm. we, sh we can't be villainizing all of these foods because I think it takes us down into an even bigger shame spiral of us not caring for ourselves. Right. Yeah. I mean, you contributed to the food chapter, so you know all about this. <laughs> yeah. Thank you. Yeah. I mean, I think that I had, I, I had, um, someone emailed me the other day saying as they were doing something in my course, they were listening to something, they went and made themselves a sandwich with beetroot in and they hadn't had beetroot in ages because they were worried about the sugar content. And I was just like, oh my gosh, like just the amount of, we need education around food, but less like fear of food. And that's a very fine line to, to walk but that's why like especially if you can't afford to work with a practitioner or you know to take a course something like a book you know or or reliable resources you know online someone who's you know trained or knows what they're talking about is is really helpful rather than this kind of blanket one size fits all statement um so yeah it's not so kind of beats or apples huh? like, we shouldn't be scared of these things i know i know they're so wonderful i mean of course like it's all very individual like i can't actually eat beetroot at the moment because of my oxalate and histamine sensitivity i used to love them i can't wait till i can eat them again but i have a valid reason like if i eat them my bladder is on fire right. but you know she didn't have a she didn't have a reason to not eat them other than the fear of fear of sugar so um yeah i think that's so so important so you have the know your endo the stress the food and then what's the and you have like another My tool most favorite chapter in the book is the movement chapter and i just um <clears throat> with movement i was so all or nothing when it came to movement it was like if i felt bad then i can't do anything but you can still do something and i, and I think the tricky thing is, is we see so many articles and things online about how exercise and movement can help period pain. But if you feel like shit, like how are you going to exercise or move your body? So it, it's not about going out and doing something crazy. Maybe it's bringing your foam roller in bed with you. Maybe it's putting your legs and butt up against the wall. Like mm -hmm. there are things that we can do. And 
And it's the research that I'm so excited about in the book about showing how lack of movement can increase pain and it could potentially increase our depression, which so many of us face with endo. So it's, you know, I list about 40 different types of movements that you can do. Like it doesn't have to be um, running a marathon. It could be playing pickleball or doing aqua aerobics. Like there's so many different things that we can do. And then the last chapter is kinder home and body. And it's just starting to look at the things that we're putting on our bodies, our lotions, our creams, what we're putting on and up our vaginas every month, our tampons and pads. And, you know, I think in the U.S. especially, there's a lot of conflicting information about parabens and, you know, the FDA says it's fine if it's in our makeup, whereas you know, other organizations say that that's a terrible thing to put on yourself. So it's starting to investigate that for yourself Mm -hmm. because if you're putting a pad or tampon on your vagina, which is one of the most absorbent parts of our body and there's potential things in it that can disrupt our system. Like I I don't want to do that. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) It's, but it's investigating that for yourself, you know, and it's not about trashing your entire makeup bag. It's about, you know, maybe your blush runs out and you add one that's a little bit cleaner. Like we can do it step by step too. Yeah. It's the same thing with the food. It's like, don't go down a shame spiral and think that you have messed everything up. Like take it one part at a time. Yeah. I completely agree with that. I think that can be the whole kind of world of like chemicals and toxins can be confusing and unfortunately I find people really really dismissive like not you know readers but like certain like kind of authority you know people that we're turning to are kind of flat out saying no there's no effect um and even though like the research says otherwise. Um, And so I think that can be really, really confusing. So doing that, like reading the studies, like breaking that down with the help of your book and that kind of thing, I think is really helpful so you can make an informed decision. Um, Because I think it's damaging when people say something in a, like, you know, someone makes a very black and white statement because it confuses someone. They might understand why they're saying a black and white statement, but someone else might not have that context or had the opportunity to read the studies. Yeah. And I mean, there's chemicals in everything and they're not yeah. all bad chemicals either. And so it's like when you, people are saying like, go toxin free, like no chemicals, like, I mean, that's not actually possible. So, you know, in the book, you talk about what are the big swaps you can make? So if you yeah. like, what, what's the lotion we put on a deodorant every day, like it doesn't have to be everything like buying a $3,000 organic mattress or something like you can make changes. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, yeah, I can't, I can't afford that mattress change yet. Um, I've just seen a question come in, so I'm just going to quickly see. Oh, that's so lovely. Happy birthday, almost. Yeah, happy birthday. <laughs> that's so nice that you, they got you there, know your endo book. So, yeah, we can see mm-hmm. already that families are making, yeah, starting to listen and, and support us. I can't get rid of um the... Okay, I've just got like people's comments over your face right now. <laughs> I, can't, <laughs> I can't get rid of them. So um, I'm going to let you go in a minute. But something you mentioned in our conversation on email was that we could talk about 
having friends with endo and like a support network and i just kind of wanted to hear a bit more about that from you like is that important to you like do you feel that's kind of like a good support strategy to not just have our normal you know our normal group of friends but finding friends with who also have endo or chronic conditions yeah it's it's really interesting because i don't really have aside from my sister i don't really have a lot of friends like irl that have endo which is so weird maybe they don't know they have it or maybe i'm just attracted to people that don't have endo like i don't really know what it is but but i do think you know writing the book and connecting people with like you through instagram and through it has helped me feel less alone but at the same time i don't always want to talk about endo yeah. so it's so I think it's, you know, I think it's so great to have friends that have endo, but maybe, you know, you watch, you give each other show recommendations. Like I have a really a great new friend with endo, Meg Allen Cole, who made the documentary Blood and Guts. And, you know, half of our texts are about like real housewives and, you know, <laughs> your period underwear and stuff. And so I think it's great to have friends that get you. But I personally, you know, with a lot of endo community and message boards and stuff like that stuff impacts me so deeply seeing yeah. really sad stories and, and people that are in so much pain. So a lot of times I'm not able to connect that way because I sort of need to protect myself yeah. a little bit. So I think it's however it works best for you. But yeah, abs absolutely. I think it's so great to have friends that get it but that you don't have to talk about it all the time. Yeah, yeah. And I agree with you with the kind of community forums and stuff. I I just can't engage with those. I It's just not a good place for me to go. Um, and I think if you kind of need to protect yourself a little, like if, you know, if you are engaging in those kind of community forums, like if they're working for you, that's great. But also like check in with yourself. Like, are you taking on, like, I've, I've noticed this with some of my clients, they're like, read about something that someone else has said about their story and they start freaking out that it's going to happen to them or kind of like taking it on as if it is their story. And then like, when we kind of rewind a little bit and we're like, well, actually, if we look at your situation, it's not the same. And and they're like, oh, oh yeah, you know? And so I think it can be quite easy to get overwhelmed with like the heaviness of the condition. And yeah. so we just need to be a bit mindful when we're in those groups. If they're helpful, great, but also just kind of making sure that like you're taking a step back and checking in with yourself. Yeah, and you know, someone in the book, oh my gosh, it broke my heart, but you know, she was part of an intro group that I ran and she said she left the group because she feel like she felt like people didn't answer her question or weren't answering her. And I didn't, I don't remember seeing those questions. And I think in those groups, sometimes there's so much going on that people yeah. can, you know, especially on Facebook or Instagram, like people don't see comments, people don't see something. So then that person feels even more alone yeah. and you don't want that. So I think it's, it's really being mindful about the type of, place that you want to be now we do have another question here i see i missed it oh wow that's such a good question <laughs> um 
I love this question because it's something I think about a lot. And I think, um, like, obviously, right now I'm doing a book tour and I'm talking about Indo all the time. But I think that, you know, after promoting this book, I think that I'm going to go back to doing minimal advocacy work. And mm -hmm. I mean, because this book, it's like 70,000 words about Indo. I think I've said a lot about it, but I think a really great way that you can do this, um, that the person that's asking this question is, you know, I used to go to high schools to talk to girls about periods and present them with endometriosis symptoms. You can do that through the Endometriosis Foundation of America. They have a great, that's amazing. They have a great um, program where they can help you know what to say and connect. And then you can kind of take it upon yourself to connect with schools. But that's something that I used to do. It's like once a month I go to a school I talk about endo and I also think that you can do it in very small ways too. Like for example, I was mailing a bunch of books the other day and the person, the post office person asked me what the book was about. And I was like, it's endometriosis. And I told her the symptoms of endo. Like it was kind of like maybe yes. an awkward thing to do. And she's like, Oh my gosh, that sounds like me. So, Oh my gosh. And so I gave her a book and then I went back to the post office to mail something else. She was like, I can't believe it. So you know, there's been so many times where I think you can be an incredible advocate by endo, but just sharing about it at a party, at the post yes. office, to a neighbor, like that, that is advocacy. Like you don't have to be on Instagram. You don't have to write a book. Like you can do it in, in what might feel like small ways, but very big for someone else. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, for anyone who, who is going to go down that road of advocacy or, or, I don't know, become a health coach or a nutritionist or a dietitian, you know, it's, I think it's about giving yourself breaks as, as well. Like we talked about this, like endo awareness month is just a lot. And I, you know, normally partake in it like year after year and do work for endometriosis UK at the same time during endo awareness month. And this year I was just like, I can't, I just can't do it as much. Like I'm running the course and working with my clients. Like I'm, doing the podcast it was just sometimes you just have to take a little bit of a step back or like come off I've actually got another Instagram account that I made for I can't even remember why I made it but I now like log out of my one and and log into that one if I want to check something out like a cafe in my local area or something mm -hmm. you know without having to go into my endo account and see like how many questions I've had about it yeah you know? And just take some time out i think that's kind of important that you give yourself or like i didn't go on instagram like all weekend i just stayed off it completely because otherwise it's just i mean i follow just loads of period and hormone and, and endo people so otherwise it's just a lot all the time so kind of giving yourself pockets of yeah. time and space and areas that aren't around endo um yeah. i think it would be july or august for me so <laughs> <laughs> But in July and August, I'm going to do that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Good. Give yourself a bit of a break after all of this. Yeah. So the book comes out tomorrow. So mm -hmm. where can people find the book? And how do they also find, like, you know, your website and Instagram and things like that? Well, it's pretty cool. The book is available in the U.S., Canada, Australia, U.K. So on um, knowyourendo.com slash book. You can find all the places you can order it. There's local bookstores, there's Amazon, there's Barnes and Noble. So 
tons of places that you can order it from. And then I'm using my personal account at Jessica Renan for this, but then my Know Your Endo account on Instagram has tons. I really just kind of post a lot of facts on there. And I think yeah. sometimes the facts can make people feel less alone. Yeah. Um, there's not a lot of, you know, photos of me and my personal, it's, it's really just about supporting other people over there. Okay. Amazing. So thank you so much for coming on. Thank you. I'm going to put this as a podcast episode. So anyone who has missed some of this, I'm actually going to post it to my Instagram as well. But if people prefer to walk and listen or something, I'm going to post on there. Um, just in case there are any other questions, I'm just going to make sure there's no, nothing that we've missed. I don't think so. Okay, someone said that they were into CrossFit and then got their diagnosis. Yeah, hope... the thing is, is maybe they can still do yeah. CrossFit perfect. It's just, for me, it was just caused a lot of inflammation and fatigue for myself. Yeah, absolutely. And I think, you know, we have to be really mindful of our cortisol. Like most people with chronic pelvic pain, endo and chronic pain have lower levels of cortisol. So because of, you know, the stress system, we're just kind of burnt out. So that can make exercise harder. Um, okay, I'm just going to make sure there's nothing else. Okay, Thank you. So. All these are such, it's like sometimes I get nervous doing these because people are going to say mean things, but also all of these comments are so sweet. Thank you for everyone for being here. <laughs> oh, thank you guys. I'm exactly the same. I, I still feel like every time I post a post on Instagram or a story or anything, I'm like, I'm just waiting. No. I always feel like that. It hasn't happened badly, but I always worry about it. I know, me too. We're thank sensitive. You. We're sensitive Jessicas. We are. We really are. Well, thank you, everyone. And Jess, thank you so much for being here. It's so nice to see, just to see your face after so many like years of chatting. Um, and I'm really sorry, but when this video comes out, you've got comments all over your face. I don't know how to get rid of them. <laughs> no, it's like a cool graphic, right? <laughs> So I will speak to you soon and good luck with the book release and all of your interviews and the tour and um, yeah, lots of love. Okay. Love you too. Bye. Love you. Bye. So that's it. Thank you so much for listening. If you want to find out more about what I do or read more on endometriosis and living well with it, um, you can head to my Instagram page, which is this underscore endolife. Um, you can head to my website which is www.thisendolife.com and you can also get um, a free guide to managing endometriosis naturally on my website um, I've put the link in my show notes it's a beginner's guide to getting started and all of the areas that I um, have worked on to help reduce my endometriosis symptoms and pain and live well with endometriosis as always, if you like this show, please rate, review and or subscribe. It really, truly does help others to hear the podcast and hopefully will help them to live better with endometriosis. This episode was produced by The Pod Farm. Whether you're an established podcaster or just getting started, visit thepodfarm.com to see how they can help you go from an idea to a finished show that's ready to be heard by the world. 